0: David Fiorazzo.
1: Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everybody listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Mary Danielson is here. Hi, Mary. Good morning. And we can't we can't wait to get to our guest today, John Haller, who recently returned from Israel, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Um, just want to mention a couple things. First of all, we'll get into this uh, Thursday uh, with Andy Woods, but a couple podcast. Uh, numbers that are very interesting, some podcast statistics over the last 90 days. We we can tell, not me, but those who keep track of these stats on Stand Up For The Truth can tell where people are listening from and how many people listen. And I have the top 10, uh, looks like the top 10 states as far as the number of people listening to the podcast. And I'll just mention this today and then uh, Thursday we're going to talk about the all-time uh, number of podcast downloads and then the top 10 countries and, uh, the Netherlands comes in at number 11, believe it or not. But the top 10 countries that we have listeners from to stand up for the truth. So Texas comes in, uh, in the last 90 days. Um, these are the podcasts, uh, 37,000, uh, Wisconsin, California, Florida, Washington, North Carolina, Minnesota, Illinois, Ohio, and Colorado. Uh, we're going to really work on John Haller to try to get those Ohio numbers up uh, in the top three. But uh, anyway, let's get to the podcast today. John Haller is with us today. We tried to schedule a live phone call and podcast uh, last week or, or two weeks ago while he was in Israel. Just couldn't work that out for various reasons. But he's been on the show many, many times. He's one of your favorite guests from what we hear from you guys. And uh, he's known for his weekly prophecy updates. And you can check out the Fellowship Bible Chapel youtube channel that's fbc youtube channel and he covers bible prophecy world news discernment apologetics worldview issues john haller welcome back to the podcast brother
2: good to be back i was uh the, the reason i couldn't schedule it that day was we had uh, uh we're going to do it on tuesday i guess a couple mm. weeks ago but yeah. that day they took us down to uh an army base near uh gaza uh, this, it was a stunning trip I mean as you go down there through southern Israel uh, you get out of Jerusalem and the really bad traffic and you get down into the it's it's it reminds me very much of the central Valley of California uh, with the agricultural area so we uh, but we didn't get back to the hotel till about 10 p.m at night mm. so it was just not which was well after you uh, record the show so uh, it just didn't work out but I you know I, I also had an interesting, I, I mentioned this on my update a week ago Sunday as we were coming back in. Uh, I've flown, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of times I've landed at the Columbus airport. I used to travel, you know, many times a week. And, uh, I, you know what it feels like when you get, should, it should feel like. And we were coming in way too fast. I happened to be sitting next to a Delta pilot. And uh, we still had internet access, so I put my speedometer app. I have a speedometer app on my phone, and the landing speed for a regional jet like that is about 135 miles per hour. Uh, we were doing 335 as we're approaching the landing. And then they pulled up and went around, and they came in, and they said, okay, we have to prepare for an emergency landing. You know, So I texted my wife, uh, I love you, please pray. And she immediately <laughs> knew something was wrong because I don't usually put those two things together that way and then I told her, you know, I texted her a little bit later and we did an emergency landing and they stood on the brakes and we landed about two hundred and ten miles per hour, but wow wow. Still <laughs> pretty fast. The brakes heated up. They had the emergency equipment out. But you know, it, it's interesting, you sort of sit there and you wonder like, okay, what what do I need to tell people? That you know, what do I need to tell my wife? Because you, you don't know mm. uh some of my friends who are pilots, they wrote to me and they said, well, you know that all airplane landings are, are controlled crashes, mm-hmm. which is kind of a mm-hmm. really comforting thing for those who have a fear of flying. <laughs> but, but you think about, you know, what's really important. And so yeah. let me put it in context of what I was doing two weeks ago today mm-hmm. on the trip to Gaza. We, we went down to an army base. The general showed us a tank and he drove the tank at us and turned and sprayed us all with sand. And I mean, I was picking gritty pieces of sand out of my ears for a couple of days after that, because I just, I just was covered head to foot with this dirt. But we went to, so we went through the urban warfare training center that they have there. Uh, It's a mock-up of Gaza. They even have Islamic uh, jihadi graffiti and everything on the buildings. They have a tunnel. Uh, It's it's a complete mock-up. It's unlike almost anything in the world. And so they showed us what they do and how they train. And, uh, he also did, the general also did a video, a little briefing for us like they do with the soldiers. Uh, he said, uh, this is, uh, this is a a car coming at you and you have eight seconds. You have eight seconds to think through the 15 things that you need to think through. What are you going to do? How are you going to react? What will happen if you do this? Uh, so this is how they train them. Mm. But then after the training there, we went over to Kibbutz, which was, um, the fields of the kibbutz go right up to the Gaza fence. So where we were standing at one point was about a fence around the kibbutz was probably a mile from the Gaza border. And, you know, they have terrorist infiltrations. The Jerusalem Post has a story this morning that uh, the Shinvet uh, security uh, police in Israel uh, took out, uh, arrested a terror cell that was planning a major bombing attack uh, in Israel. Hmm. And uh and uh hang on a second here, my browser seemed to want to close up on me. So so we had this so we're there a mile away and the, the lady came and she spoke and and she said, you know, listen, I call this ninety five percent heaven, five percent hell. Because when the rockets go off in Gaza, shoot they're shooting rockets towards Israel, uh my app goes off or I hear the sirens, if I'm so place I can actually hear the sirens, I have ten seconds to get to a place of safety. So I call it 95% heaven, 5% hell. Uh, when we went up the road uh, and met the, had a dinner and the mayor of the area came to speak. He was injured in a rocket attack on that kibbutz we had been at in the morning or the afternoon. And the two men killed and he lost both of his legs in the rocket attack. And there the people were saying, well, we call it 99% heaven here because we have 15 seconds to get to a safe room, and then when I went up to a frat uh, near Bethlehem, a Jewish community for Shabbat dinner with some friends uh, who are Orthodox Jews, they, you know, the kids were. I told the story, and the kids said, "Well, we have a minute and a half here." But I was sort of trying to think of this in the context of the incident when we landed, and uh, what what they go through every day, what they live with, and the terror threat, and then. Mm where where are we on this prophetic timeline i mean how how much time do we have left and the interesting thing is this at the kibbutz the the life is sort of idyllic uh, you know it's a collective uh, community a collectivism they share everything uh, the kids sometimes even live in dormitories on these kibbutzes they don't live with their parents so it's a communal living situation but it's sort of idyllic But then they also live with this on the side. So it's sort of a, I think, a lesson for us to learn as we're looking at Bible prophecy and the events and things that are unfolding so rapidly Mm -hmm. that we, um, you know, our life's going to seem normal in many respects, but there's also this edge to it that we need to be aware of and we need to be thinking about and preparing for and thinking through mentally, what are you going to (laughs) do? What do you do when you have eight seconds or 10 seconds or 15 to really, to make a decision? And I I think, I think we're really sort of approaching that point with the rather chaotic situation that goes on in the world. Mm -hmm.
1: So, John, um, you mentioned Israel's Urban Warfare Training Center. A a lot of people, what you just shared about how much time they have when the alarms go off, there's there's so much to unpack there, and I think we should take a few extra minutes and do that right now because a lot of people in America, in the West, don't hear that in the news. We don't understand. We just think Israel's the aggressor, (laughs) you know, so... These people have been trained. The, where you went was a training center for IDF or citizens or or
2: what? The Israeli defense. This is where the military goes and trains. And in fact, okay. I'm pretty sure that uh, the the facility there is so comprehensive, and I think it's unique in the world that even our special forces go there and train mm. uh, for what it's like because of the close quarters, the narrow alleys, the buildings. And, you know, and they've, they've done a mock of what it's like in Gaza, which really is, in Gaza City, is one of the most uh, densely populated places on the planet. You get a little bit of a picture of the uh, couple uh, that I went to Shabbat dinner with in Ephrat. Um, You know, there, there was a guy a, a few years ago, there was this sort of larger than life Zionist Jewish guy, just loved Israel. His name was Ari Fold and uh he his he his wife sent him down to the store to get something and while he was at the store a Palestinian stabbed him uh severed his aorta Ari mm. uh ran after him shot him and killed him and then collapsed and Ari died
0: wow.
2: and Ari was a bigger than life guy and I remember the Sunday that this happened um because he was a, I either followed him on Facebook or he was a Facebook friend. I never met him, okay, but I, I loved his love for Israel. I, you know, his love for his family. Uh, he did debates on television in Israel and that type of thing. And uh, there's a guy named Avi Ablo, uh and if you want to follow him, the Pulse of Israel is his social media site. And and he's a Zionist Jew. He lives in a uh down where I was uh, for Shabbat dinner. And I was on my way to church and his thing popped up on my Facebook feed and he was at the Western Wall crying because Ari Fold, his friend had been killed. And it was interesting on Thursday night, I was, uh, did some things in the old city, went to the Western Wall tunnels, and then I was walking through the Jewish quarter. I love the Jewish quarter, stopped at a store where there's a guy that I know, uh, there in, in the, the square where they have the menorah, the menorah that they've built for a coming temple. Uh, it's it's a replica of what's on the Arch of Titus mm. in Rome, and uh, as I was walking there, here comes Avi down the street doing a a little video with his little Osmo gimbal, and so I followed him and then caught him and I told him the story, and it, it's just. I don't think we understand what they live with. No.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A week ago Friday, my friend, uh, uh Brian Schroger, who's done some writing for Jerusalem Post and other media and lives in, um, lives in Israel, we went down to Hebron. And Hebron is one of the, the, the site in Hebron, the tomb of Machpelah, the tomb of the patriarchs of Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah in Hebron is the second holiest site in Judaism next to the Temple Mount. Um, and the western wall the uh, this is a structure that was built by King Herod two thousand years ago. It stands pretty much today as it did it 's been through earthquakes and everything this This Herod got built stuff that is just oh. it blows your mind two thousand years ago and in the western wall tunnels, by the way, that I did in uh, the tunnels under the western wall and that type of thing along the side of the Temple Mount the structures and stuff down there that he built back 2000 years ago that they've excavated over the last 10 15 20 years that you can now go tour it's un- it's unbelievable it just it's it it blows your mind but so here is this this second site in Judaism and there's a place there at the tomb of uh, the patriarchs this is where Abraham and, and by the way there is no question on this Nobody really disputes this, that this is where Abram bought the cave of Machpelah for a burial site. And so there are, well, they actually say there are four couples buried there. I'll tell you about the other one. The first, Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca and Isaac, and Leah and Jacob.
1: Hmm.
2: The Jewish tradition is that this cave, though, was the, limit of as close as Adam and Eve could get to the garden of Eden. And that also Adam and Eve are buried in this, were buried in this cave as well. So there's this big structure here. did this on, a, on three places. Uh, and so we went from there. Then we went over to the ancient tell. There's an old, there's a staircase there. It's probably 4,500 years old. It's one of the oldest staircases that led up to the gates of the city of Hebron. Ancient Hebron, uh, where David had his palace and rule. But when Abram came there, those stairs were already 800 years old. So that in, so Abram was around about 3,800 years ago. So kind of factor that in. Mm -hmm. And then we, we stood there and Hebron is the most divided city in Israel. I mean, when you're in Jerusalem, uh, the hotel we stayed in was in, uh, until the 67 war was in Jordan the area controlled by Jordan. And even now when you're, you're doing things, there's just these weird things that only ever happen in Israel. You, you're walking around and it says, you're, you're, you're crossing into another country. Do you want to do that? well, it's, I'm in Jerusalem. I'm in the capital of Israel, but the, the media sites and the mapping companies and everything still recognize this. When I was in the Arab part that used to be part of Jordan in Jerusalem, I would check my weather app, but I, I couldn't get the weather across the street because it was a different
1: country. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and It's just it's,
2: it's absolute insanity. Mm-hmm. And so you see these things like uh, I met a guy at the conference named Itamar Marcus. I had met his brother in the airport many years ago. He runs a thing called Palestinian Media Watch, and they just came out with a, a, a publication about uh, terror uh, training Training Tots in Terror or something like that. I don't remember the name of the book exactly. Um, I have it here. It's called Teaching Terror to Tots. <laughs> and they look at what they're teaching in Palestinian schools and they're, they're, they're teaching these narratives. And so wow. I think this morning Itamar had tweeted about the fact that the, the, the old anti-Jewish tropes, uh, are being, are being, um, put on social media now. They're, 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 it's Christmas. So they say things, Jesus was a Palestinian. And, um, you know, he, he and, and Joseph and Mary were, were Palestinian refugees.
1: <laughs> and,
2: um, and it's, it's just this narrative. Uh, and then they also say the Jews killed Jesus and this has led to a lot of hatred. And, and so some of us are trying to, um, you know, get, uh, get away from that. Um,
1: by the it's, way, John, so it there, was just very interesting. there was a Christmas commercial by he gets us yeah I was just gonna saying, mention that, saying Jesus was a refugee, yeah. and uh, just just amazing what we're hearing and the, this new propaganda mm-hmm. but we've just got two minutes left or two and a half minutes uh mayor, did you want to comment on anything John was saying
3: I thought the the Hebron um narrative was very very interesting because I wasn't aware of you know just how I've been there many times, but I wasn't aware of just how close things are and how um how late the hour is, and they, like you said, they understand living on the edge. You know, mm. I was thinking while you were talking, oddly enough, about that doomsday clock that the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists puts out, and every <laughs> December they change it. Uh, and so I always look it up in uh, January. I'm sorry, and I always look to see how how close these people think we are to a global catastrophe. And we've been at 100 seconds since 2020. That's the closest the clock has ticked to midnight when they consider, which is what they consider, you know, zero hour. Uh, In the world. John, two
2: minutes. It'll be interesting what they say uh, when they come out. (laughs) So, but back to Hebron. So, we also went to a place called Mamre. This is where Abram got the promise of a son. Mm -hmm. And he was, three men came to him and it says, God met Abram by the great oaks of Mamre. And Herod built there, Constantine built there Mm -hmm. to memorialize the site. And so you can go there, but as you, as we drove from The tell over you know down through the closed part of the city. That's another long story because of a shooting back in in 1994 at the at the at the mosque that's there at the tomb of Makpila. There were soldiers all over the place. I mean, we had guns pointed at us. Uh, I know uh, people's fingers were very close to the trigger. Wow. There were armored vehicles all over the place, and we had to drive around Israeli checkpoints up to Mamre, which is in the ancient city of Hebron. And I'm just telling you, you get a you kind of get a better idea of what they live with and the animosity and hatred that's there. And so I think in the next segment, we can maybe talk a little bit about what's going on over there. And and I think how it fits into the prophetic timeline uh, as we piece things together.
1: Yeah, we'll also talk a little bit about an article that you suggested uh, we look at this morning about the world order being on a cliff edge. And that's from the Jerusalem Post. And over at the Post also, I want to get your response, John, to where the Kremlin says, no chance of peace with Kiev after Zelensky visits Washington, D.C. So that's interesting. And what I just want to hear both of you, Mary and John, what you thought of Zelensky uh, coming over here in a sweatshirt in front of Congress asking for money. Anyway, more with John Haller when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: John Haller, fresh from returning from Israel, is our guest today. And I'm quoting from the Jerusalem Post that says, The world is on the verge of a cliff and is likely to be struck by a variety of crises affecting all aspects of... Of life, end quote. Uh, John, that's not extremely prophetic, since what we've seen uh, with COVID and the lockdowns, and since 2020 and the fear mongering. But there's a lot more that goes into this with the world order on a cliff edge. Just uh, go wherever you want here. Start wherever you want. Sure.
2: You, you understand that the Israeli intelligence services and military—they're highly trained, and they—they they do things that. Are just they almost seem miraculous at times. I mean, the, the victory in 1967 uh, did have some, I, I don't know how else to describe it, some supernatural aspects to it as they were able to restore control. So, for example, I think before the show, Mary, you and I were talking about the fact that uh, for 700 years, from 1257 to 1967, the Jews at the second site, second holiest site in Judaism, they go there to pray. They don't go there to pray to Abraham or to Isaac or Jacob or anything like that. They go there to pray, and as they're praying, they they're standing there near a, a thing called a cenotaph, a memorial of Abram, Abraham or Sarah. Uh, they, it's like a almost like a tombstone, and they're not praying to them. They are praying. they were remembering what they meant to the people of Israel and uh so it's it's a it's an important distinction to make but as you as you're there's a place that they called the seventh step and for 700 years that was where the 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 jews were limited in going they could go up to there and pray but they couldn't go inside the the buildings that were built many years after herod the mosque and the synagogue that are up there and so, for, you know, so it's, it's been in a, in a lot of our lifetime that they've been able to go back there to pray. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the wall is very discolored there because they go up and they will touch the wall as they pray. And it's, it's, they're clearly Herodian stones. So the, the security service there, I mean, and you see it being played out in front of you when the soldiers are all over the place uh, on Shabbat a week ago. In talking to my friends there was sort of like, well, you know, this is what we do in Shabbat because this is where the Muslims get upset and things and they throw rocks at each other and they fight back and forth from both sides. But the people of Israel there, I mean, they've come back and I think, and I, I think that we all in this part of the prophecy community agree that this is prophetic. It's not done yet. When you look at the prophecies in Ezekiel, say thirty six, it says they'll come back and they'll come back in unbelief, and then I will give them a new heart and they will know that I am God. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of in that transition phase where they're they're back in large part and they're more coming back, particularly with the rise of the anti Semitism in the East. So the security service in Israel, the Shinbet and the Mossad, you know, they do these amazing things. Like they go to Tehran and they get a whole warehouse of the Iranian nuclear program, secrets, notebooks, discs, CDs, and all this thing. And not only do they go there and find it, they transport it all the way out of Iran and Netanyahu, you know, five years ago or so uh, during one of his earlier uh, trips through the prime minister's office, he comes out and says, look what we found. So now they have this, reports and a, a national intelligence assessment. It's a little bit different, but they're coming out and they're saying the world, the world is on the edge of a cliff and there's things that uh, are happening. They and, and I think this all when they when they look at the security situation in the Middle East, the wars that are going on, the war between Russia and Ukraine and how that ha- does have a direct impact on Iran, you have Russia and Iran working together on weapons. They had formed a alliance last year uh, that a lot of us talked about. Well, now it's it's being strengthened because Russia needs weapons, and so the Iranians are providing them with drones. Now there are reports that not only in exchange for 1,700 drones, you're going to get 34 of our relatively advanced fighters uh, to Iran, now they have a limited range I don 't know how much of an impact they 'll make, but they will be able to cause a lot of trouble in the oil ship, oil and gas shipping lines in the Persian Gulf so the the guys in Israel are looking at this and they just say um, uh, they're they're doubling down so so Sunday, I talked a little bit about another aspect that a lot of people don 't talk about about the demographics, unlike any, almost any other time in human history, we are at a place where uh, these players in end times Bible prophecy that we see are going through demographic collapses. Now, I had somebody give me like, oh, you don't understand. Things will, They'll turn things around. They'll get things better. <laughs> this is not going to. And the guy was a little bit snarky in the comment on YouTube. And I said, they all take this into account. And so when, when you look at, for example, now, population of Ukraine when the war started was 41 million. It's projected to be down to 24 million. Wow. You see, oh my you see, Syria was 22 million and 10 million people. Well, a million, probably a million people have been killed since the start of the Syrian civil war in 2011. And out of 22 million, and then 10 million more. So that means half the population is dead. Mm or displaced in the last 11 years. And now put that into Ukraine where the same thing is happening. Mm. And the the turmoil with that and, the, and Russia destroying the utility grid in Ukraine, people living in the dark, mm. uh, the war mm. has caused energy crisis. Mm-hmm. I talked to a guy at the conference. The, the conference brought in, media people. I don't know why they include me, but I got invited. So I went, uh, they had, uh, 50 countries. There are a lot of people from Africa that are, you know, support Israel. Um, and then, uh, about 120 media people came, some from Israel, some, you know, US, from all over the world. Um, the, so let me, let me just sort of swerve off here. So Wednesday night, a friend from the UK, uh, well, I, I don't know what I was going to say on the utilities thing and energy and that type of thing. And we see rolling blackouts in the United States. You know, this, this was, we've talked about Dave in the past, this green energy thing is just absolute complete insanity mm-hmm. that they think that, you know, well, we're going to put up solar and wind. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But I can guarantee you that solar generates zero at dark. When it's dark, and the wind Oops. does not always blow, and yeah. they're developing technologies and stuff, but you need something that's always on. Yep. I grew up. We had bad weather when I was growing up. I can remember living in Indianapolis forty years ago, and we had like every year we'd get down in the twenty some below zero range. Well, you live in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but the thing was the power didn't go off. The power's going off in different places. In Ohio, we get entered. You know, we get. Uh, emails from American Electric Power, like, well, you know, try not to use too much power here because we've got this, you know, the grid, we may have to do rolling blackouts. And they're doing rolling blackouts in places around the country right now because there's not an always-on power source. and They're shifting everything to green energy. The whole thing is insane. I heard you, David, talking recently about the 15-minute city where they – they were so good on the lockdowns yes. with COVID. Now they wanted. Now they're going to do that for green energy.
1: Yeah, John. For those that missed that part of the podcast, I think Mary and I did a week or so ago. They are literally trying to work on that. What was the city that they're actually implementing that in?
2: It's in Oxfordshire uh, oh, yeah. County. Okay, that's yeah, it. Yeah. The city of Oxford. So, in so,
1: John, sum that up the the bullet points of the so called uh, you know climate change you know fifteen minute city.
2: Well, they're going to say that you, we're going to make the city so that everything is within a 15 minute walk of your house. Or bike ride. Or bike ride. And, and if you do drive, you're going to be limited to certain sectors of mm-hmm. the city. And if you drive to a sector where you're not allowed, like in the UK, in Oxford, they're saying it's a $150 fine. Yep.
3: Wow.
2: If, if you, if you just cross the barrier. And so and they'll do this by tracking us on social media. We know that people have gone to protest in China, they've they've taken a train to another city, and the social media apps, trackers or whatever, they figure out, hey, you're you're going to this protest, what it looks like, and they're walking through the train station and the QR code on their phone changes from green to red oh, and they wow. cannot exit at the turnstile. Wow. wow. Yeah. This, this is this is coming all over the place and this is why this whole Twitter dumping stuff is so concerning where these social media companies have conspired with the government to deny us our constitutional rights by the way it,
1: hasn't every practically every quote conspiracy theory about the one- party big tech media conglomerate hasn't that been proved true now that it's not just conspiracy mm-hmm. these things they were actually doing uh, Twitter Facebook and, and others? Yeah, I mean
2: I think even Elon Musk did a little thing on Twitter yesterday where he says all the conspiracy theories about Twitter and social media are proving to be true. Yeah, absolutely. And and they've changed elect they you know they've altered the outcome of elections. There's there's left wing professors Mm -hmm. who've been studying this who say this. So so let me get back to back to this article in the Jerusalem Post is that when when the people in Israel who live in a idealic situation in many cases, but also on the edge of a crisis mm-hmm. all the time. They understand these things. And so when the people who live within this, who are studying this, and they're coming out and they're saying, the world is on a cliff edge, how it's going to go it, in, in some of the ways. And so when you're on a cliff edge, you know, there, there's one way is okay. And the other way, things change very, very rapidly. And I do think mm-hmm. that this is part of this this Bible prophecy thing. So, you know, I've said this many times. I have this little grid that I made up. I talk about convergence. I talk about acceleration. You know, everything's happening. Everything's happening faster. Mm-hmm. And there's a logistics aspect to all of this too, I think. And then mm-hmm. Daniel talks about we'll have understanding as we get closer. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll be able to figure out, okay, this is how this is going to work out. I mean, we all have, I've often said there's, they always say there's 25,000 evangelical or Christian denominations. I think that's way overstated. But when it comes to Bible prophecy, you know, twenty-five, forty thousand 40,000 denominations is an understatement because everybody has a different opinion.
0: Yeah.
2: And you have people on the show. I know these guys. And, you know, we just... Someday we'll all be in perfect harmony. Mm-hmm. But right now we're trying to figure out how all of this fits together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard when you're in the the swirl of all this. So the Israel intelligence comes out and says, we're on a cliff edge. I think we need to take that seriously. So one of the aspects of this is the Ukraine-Russia war, and that has an impact on the Middle East. Now, I will say, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to identify too much, but I had uh, about a three-hour dinner a week ago, Wednesday, two weeks ago tomorrow, with a pastor from Ukraine. And I've been talking to Ukrainian missionaries and, and people who have mission agencies in Ukraine and everything. And and they tell a little bit of a a different story about Russian involvement in this. Certainly the U S was messing around in there and that type of thing, but it's, it's very naive to think that the Ukrainian or the Russians were not involved in Ukraine for a long time before they went in. For example, this morning we pick up the paper and we find out that a, a critic of Putin was in India Mm -hmm. and died unexpectedly. By the way, at the same hotel where another Putin critic had died a few days ago, I'm sure it's just a coincidence (laughs) uh, or is what somebody says a quinky dink.
3: Um,
2: And and so while you mentioned the article where Russia was saying uh, no peace because – Zelensky's come to the U S getting, I don't know what, you know, everybody always complains, Oh, United, United States, Israel wouldn't exist if you weren't giving them all this money. Listen, in the last year, we've given far more to Ukraine than they've given to, um, uh, they, um, than then we've given to Israel over its existence, I think. It's, it's oh. incredible amount of money. Oh. <laughs> it's not really accountable. And so I'm not, I'm not pro-Russian. I'm not pro-Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I'm not anti-Russian. I'm not anti-Ukraine. I'm sort of taking a wait and see approach to yeah. this, but I'm just telling you is there are evangelicals suffering for their faith in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have no reason to doubt mm-hmm. the conversation that I had with this person. I know that uh, everybody says, oh, you know Zelensky shutting down the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Well, it's filled with Russian agents yes, okay it's it's and so there's there's another side to the story that we're not getting here, but too you know John. Two there's a, a lot of corruption there and that type of thing. so just an incredible amount of stuff happening mm-hmm. that very difficult to sort through because it, everything's propaganda now
3: yeah it is difficult to sort through and i i think as americans sometimes we look at everything as a, an athletic matchup well who's the bad guy and who's the good guy and who's going to win but it's that is just so such an oversimplification um and there are people there and their lives are forever changed uh, i did see a meme this morning that said um can i count Zelensky as a dependent on my taxes next year so I mean, you know, that people are taking that, um, yeah. you know, it's very strange. <laughs> the one thing I want to say real quick about this article, um, World Order on Verge of Cliff. For the Jerusalem Post, it says, and the first paragraph to me tells me everything about prophecy, the world is at a transition point analogous to being on the verge of a cliff, after which a series of crises striking simultaneously will reorder the planet's geopolitics, the place of technology, the economic order, and a variety of other disciplines from health to energy. And to me, that is prophecy. And I don't know who at the Jerusalem Post knows or doesn't know that um but to me in a nutshell they have it spot on that that is exactly where we're at in this crazy world
2: yeah i listen and um you know i had uh, dinner the next night with uh, one of the editors at the jerusalem post so uh they're aware of this uh they live it um let me just sort of back up listen i, w- I went to shabbat d- dinner at a home of some Orthodox Jewish friends. Now they're friends, I
1: think one minute, John.
2: And, and I will say this is that, uh, the Torah portion for Shabbat this week was the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers into Egypt. And I have to tell you that it was, it was very humbling to sit there and watch these, uh, children nine, seven, nine and 15. I think they were might be a year off on one of the eight, a couple of the ages, two boys and and an older girl. The way these kids engaged with the text of Scripture and discussed it and argued about it and everything really put to shame almost any evangelical church I've been involved in in my entire life. Mm -hmm. These kids were really engaged with the text. And that was kind of humbling to me.
1: So when we come back after this quick break, we're going to just... Try to answer that question. What interest does the globalist Democrat left have in Ukraine giving billions to Ukraine and Zelensky? And uh, we'll also talk a little bit about Turkey and Russia and Syria when we come back with John Haller on Stand Up for the Truth.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth, here's David Fiorazzo.
1: John Haller, when the left gives Zelensky, a globalist leader, uh, Ukraine's leader in their government, a standing ovation in our country, in Congress, when you see you know Biden and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi just hugging and fawning all over them and applauding that's to me not only gives me the creeps but it's a major red flag. What am I missing?
2: Well, they they all seem to be they all seem to be in on it together and it, it was bipartisan. I mean, listen the Yes, true. The Republicans could have stopped this and they didn't stop it. Some uh, tried you know, the money that we're giving that they're giving in this uh, thing to to Ukraine. We could build the border wall in the United States nine times over.
0: Jeez.
2: And I, I mean, I'm looking at the videos today. I mean, of course, uh, President uh, o Biden is headed off to the Virgin Islands uh, of course. in the midst of a, a, a deep freeze. I get his flight's going to work. Southwest, I mean, there's a complete <laughs> meltdown in the United States air transportation system. Southwest canceled 71% of their flights yesterday. Mm. They'll wow. be 62% today. There are wow. thousands of people stranded all over the place there 's not even hotels available uh, you know it 's sort of like uh, wake up people're we 're in a major crisis but we 're giving forty five billion to ukraine uh, with with really no accountability That's that 's the thing that bothers me so look let me just say this. When we did all the financial settlements back in the after the 2008 financial crisis, there were billions of dollars paid by big financial companies in settlements. Those settlements, the money from that was laundered through the Obama administration to left wing NGOs. And now you see the results of what's going on with social media and our elections and that type of thing. Yep. We have had a coup in this country. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Yes. And now we're giving money to a place where I don't know that it's going to be laundered back to line, the pockets of people that are making the decisions. Mm. So it's in, in the world economic forum. And you've talked ad nauseum about this, about this global governance that people are trying to bring in, uh, you know, we could we could sit here literally and talk for hours about this because of all the little different things that are going on and converging right now. Mm-hmm. SDGs, that's, that's sustainable
1: clear. development goals. Mayor, we we wanted to talk about this last topic before we get let have to get, say goodbye okay. to John.
3: Yeah, um, there was another article on December 23rd in the Jerusalem Post, and it says Turkish-Russian strategy for Syrian endgame emerging, and I think that's very interesting because there seems to have been a bit of a stalemate since I don't know about 2018 since about then, concerning Syria. And there just a little bit of backstory here. Uh, There are three areas of uh, control in Syria right now. Um, Assad has 60%, Mm -hmm. and he is backed by Russia and Iran. The Syrian Democratic Forces are backed by the U.S. and the Kurds. Um, And then the, the other one is the Syrian National Army, backed by Turkey, and that's 10%. And we know that the Turks hate the Kurds, and so there's a lot of stewing going on here but what's going on i mean we haven't heard a lot about syria um you know damascus destruction of damascus and and isaiah and all that what is are things heating up over there is this going to be a russian Turkish huzzah or what is interesting
2: yeah it's interesting to bring this article up which was published last friday in the jerusalem post uh a week before that on thursday night in jerusalem i went out and the author of this article, Jonathan Spire, who's one of the best war correspondents in the Middle East, was one of the people at dinner. Ooh. And we talked about this for a couple of hours. So I, I sort of got a preview nice. of... um, um We kind of got this preview of... I got a preview of this article. And so what's happening is... So Turkey hates the Kurds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, there are... Kurdish Christians that are being horribly persecuted in yes. Kurds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to pray for them, and there's organizations that support. I know we, we help send some money at FPC to that. Um, and, and so, Turkey's economy's in the dumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erdogan uh, had a major rival for the presidential election that's coming up in 2023. That guy just was convicted of criticizing the government and barred from office. And so like this is how Erdogan removes his rivals. Mm-hmm. He's threatening to go into the Kurdish areas. Turkey doesn't, or Russia doesn't like that because Russia has a lot of interest in Syria. And you know, Israel mm-hmm. keeps, th- you know, doing attacks there sometimes with the approval or tacit approval of Russia. And so I think what, what Jonathan Spire was saying in this article is, listen, this is, this is setting up a situation so they all come out looking good. So Turkey's threatening to go in further into Syria. This is what they have wanted for a long time. And then Russia says, no, no, that's against our interest. And Turkey is saying Iran is having terrible uh problems with protests in the country. They're executing people. Young people, 16 year olds are getting executed because they're opposing God or opposing the plan of God or something as the charge. And a lot of that, uh, Protests is originating in the Kurdish region of Iran, and so now you have sort of Turkey and Iran have a mutual interest, and then Russia's going to come in, and I think Russia's going to come in and with a, a plan, and Russia's going to look like here look at us, we're the peacemakers. We were able to achieve this. Then there are other areas of conflict where Turkey's going to help resolve the situation, maybe Ukraine, Russia. I mean, this morning, there's a, a, a post I'm reading that Putin's saying we need to have peace negotiations, whereas just a day or two ago, he was saying there's no way we're going to settle this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now they're talking about this. And I and what Jonathan was saying at dinner was they're going to set this up so that Russia looks good, Turkey looks good, Iran looks good, but they have this alliance, and it, it's it's not a perfect alliance. They, they don't get along on a lot of things. There's a lot of competing interests, but... You know, this is at least appears to be an alliance that's very active in the end times. Uh, in the midst of which, you know, I'm seeing articles in the Western press that says it's going to take Russia 30 years to rebuild. Mm-hmm. They're And they're getting weapons from Iran. Mm-hmm. And that gets Iran the experience with those weapons. So that if they eventually want to use this in an attack of Israel. And believe me, there's there's a. All this stuff that's going on in the West, what they call the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, uh, terror attacks, uh, conflicts, wars between the clans in the uh, Palestinian areas, uh, is who's gonna take control of, uh, the Palestinian Authority of the Palestinian areas. They call it the day after Abbas dies. And he's 87, so th- that day is coming. in they're all doing this and Turkey's funding a lot of this unrest that goes on in Jerusalem, but then they back off and it's, it's very complicated. It uh, and it's very messy the way this whole end time scenario is going to play out. But I definitely think that we are at that period of time. Uh, as I watch this, there's just, there's just too much going on to say it's not somebody wanted me to come to a conference in another state so they've been going to pastors hey we want to do a Bible prophecy uh, seminar they cannot find any church that wants to do that and, and this is in a southern state Wow this conservative that's evangelical yeah. well you know that's just kind of a downer thing to talk about
1: well it's revealing mm-hmm. of where we're at you know in our biblical literacy, or I should say illiteracy when it comes to Bible prophecy. But, John, really quick question about Jonathan Spire and, and you speaking with him. You said you were at a Christian media summit, or was it a media summit in Jerusalem? And why should people in the North American church be aware and concerned about this?
2: Listen, what you should see going on in Israel are stunning parallels to what's going on in the United States. Now, whether you agree with Netanyahu or like him or not, okay, Um, there's been a weaponization of the legal system against Netanyahu. There's been a weaponization of the Supreme Court system against people. So, for example, there's a guy in Israeli politics named Ben Gavir. He's from the National Religious Zionist Party. Uh, We we went to the Knesset one day. Uh, By the way, it was a Christian media summit. They bring in people from Christian media. And Mm -hmm. by the way, some of the people that were there were pro-Palestinian. OK, mm-hmm. but then there were people there from like all Israel news, which is Joel Rosenberg's is- Israeli news outlet mm-hmm. and had some great conversations with them. And right now, uh, or just the last couple of days, they had a Jewish media summit in Jerusalem. So the government press office knows that there are these different constituent groups that they need to educate about different things. And right now they they have a Knesset that's been elected, but the government Netanyahu announced it would be formed. It's supposed to be um, um, sworn in on Thursday. But at the Knesset, they had a guy named Ben Gavir. This is a guy, very controversial. And now there's a petition filed with the high court. Now, does this sound like the January 6th commission? A petition filed with the high court by NGOs, non-government organizations, and other people in Israel to get Ben Gavir barred from serving as the internal security minister because Hmm. he's just too radical for us. This, and what did the January 6th Commission just do? Trump should never run for office yep. again.
0: That—that
2: mm-hmm. that was the whole goal behind mm-hmm. this. They yes. finally came out, and by the way, they talked about transparency. Liz Cheney, Adam Kitzinger, Adam—they are a bunch of liars. They talked about transparency for the last year. <laughs> they are <laughs> sealing all of the interviews, other than what's in their 800-page report, which you can download. But what about where are all the videos? There's security cameras all over the place around the Capitol. Why don't they do this? Now, hopefully the Republicans will be able to undo some of this. But in Israel, this is happening. So Ben Gavir comes. A lot of people in Israel, this guy's radical. He's horrible. He's done some things. And, listen, we all say things we don't agree with later. And so I have an open mind with Ben Gavir. He spoke to us. He spoke in Hebrew. He doesn't speak English. He's a lawyer. We always like that part about people. And at least I do. (laughs) And his English interpreter there was Ishai Fleischer, who is the father, the Abba of the home that I went to in Ephrat for Shabbat dinner. So I got a little bit different perspective about Ben Gavir. And he lives in Hebron in this incredibly divided city where arabs prevented muslim arabs prevented the jews from praying at one of their sites for 700 years. Hmm. And that is um that's the reality of the situation there. So there's this incredible parallel between what's going there on is. in Israel and what's wow. happening here and it, they're doing it in Europe and everything too to to shut down people we don't agree with to shut them up and so I, I'm appreciative of outlets like you where we can still get on and talk about this stuff.
1: And who knows how much longer we will have on on this platform, on this outlet, because we um, – by the way, three minutes left in this podcast today. We are going to do another podcast with John Haller next week. You will hear that, uh, I believe, next Wednesday. But we, we've – because there's so much we didn't get to talk about, including the uh, – well, the J6 committee and just the lies and what the media is is – you know, censoring, also church going and belief in God at historic lows. But what is surging? Mega churches. We're going to talk about that next week. But here, just for us, John. I know you've had your problems with with YouTube. Um, here, you know, we've had uh, Facebook shadow banning us since 2018. Uh, Spotify has been quote reviewing our account uh, since December 1st, and apparently, I don't know if you can get our podcast any longer. On Spotify, there are other outlets. We're trying to take care of our server issues, put everything on a new server. But theres it's just a matter of time. Um, so we're finding new ways to get information out. John, talk a little bit about Christians, free speech, and just how to get good information with all the censorship that's going on.
2: Yeah, well, Fellowship Bible Chapel has an app. And, you know, I don't talk about the Charlie Vector thing that we've suffered with for the last – Really, now three years here in the United States. Charlie
1: Vector, David, 10 plus niner?
2: Yeah, Charlie Vector, 019er. 019er. And, uh, I
1: that say seems 10, ten
2: plus 9. Media.
1: Yeah,
0: 19.
2: But, but, you know, Fellowship Bible Chapel has an app. <laughs> and, um, but who knows how long that's going to be in the app store? I mean, because they'll just remove you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they'll debank you. They'll prevent you from getting contributions and that type of thing. And, uh, mm. you know, we we've, we've <coughs> Been using PayPal. <coughs> <Excuse> yeah. <me. coughs> PayPal's now taking people off their mm-hmm. platform that yep. have a, a point of view that they don't agree with. But look, yesterday, uh, the Twitter dump was all the stuff about treatment for Charlie VectorO19er and how that was suppressed. And now there's study after study coming out. Listen, we we've gone through a massive propaganda revolution yes. in this mm-hmm. in this country, in this mm-hmm. world. Yeah. And, and believe me, listen, you know, whether you agree on Russia or Ukraine, who's right? Russia's behind a lot of this. Russia's been pushing ESG. Saudi Arabia's been pushing ESG. Saudi Arabia's building a city called NEOM. It's not a fifteen minute city, by the way. It's a hundred miles long It'll have 9 million people. They're building it. I've seen the satellite photos of they're actually building the foundations of this thing. It's going to be a five-minute city. And it has this very sort of looks like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in some of the pictures you've seen. If You see the interior renderings. And look, is this a Babylon of the end times? I'm just telling you, we live in this incredible time where... The things that the Bible talked about yep. thousands of years ago are coming true in front of
1: us. Yep, convergence, yep. acceleration. We got it. John Haller, we'll speak with you next week. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to your brother. We'll talk soon. God bless. Thanks, okay. John. Tomorrow, Chad Davidson, a replay from our interview earlier this year with 511 News, Good Fight Ministries. He's got some great information to share. Also, we will do a live podcast Thursday morning with Pastor Andy Woods and do a review of of 2022 and 2023 we'll look ahead friday laura perry smaltz and uh, you're not going to want to miss her encouraging story well as always god bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter